Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. for more <laughs> we are back for more still during the pandemic um and we're going to be continuing our conversation on justice so last week i think we ended by getting into this conversation it was two parts uh one part was rights mm-hmm. and then the other part was the idea of inequality yes and i suspected that the things might be related mm-hmm. and uh, i believe that the, the very last thing that i was that I said was that probably there is this set of rights mm. that have to do with this idea of equality of inequality that maybe define this thing that we call justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that to go back to that, you know, in order for us to go full circle, so to speak, uh, we need to figure out what rights are, first of all. What does it mean to have certain rights? Mm-hmm. Uh, if there are certain rights that are kind of innate or natural, to use uh, some some terminology typical of philosophers of the Enlightenment or modern philosophers, or if rights are acquired, for example, mm-hmm. if we we kind of they're given to us by specific societal standards, and what does that mean? Is if there is this difference or if there is not? If if the difference means anything, right? Because it's possible, yeah. so it doesn't mean anything. And uh, the two first guys I think of. Mm-hmm. Um, who are kind of on the same side but get there in a different way are Locke and Mill. Okay. Because Locke talks about well, first of all, they both talk about negative rights. Yes. I think I think maybe we started getting into this slightly, but just to recap, yeah. Um, there's this distinction in the history of philosophy that uh, has been there but was brought to light by Isaiah Berlin in this essay he wrote. Um, where he talked about these two strains of liberty that seem to exist within the history. Mm-hmm. The one idea was negative liberty and the other idea was positive liberty. And the idea of negative liberty is uh, freedom from constraints upon an individual's action. And the constraint usually takes the form of something like a state or a collective body, right? So yes. to be free in the negative sense is to not have any laws that restrict you from doing something. So, for example, the freedom to speak, uh, freedom from taxation, uh, the freedom to do with your body what you wish, like anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then you have this idea of positive freedom, which is different, which is not the absence of constraint, but is rather like uh, having the things necessary to self-actualize, to do Mm -hmm. something. And... Mm -hmm. Unlike negative freedom, positive freedom may in fact require laws to give you those things. Yes. And what I was going to say is that at least with Locke and Mill, these guys are both proponents of negative liberty, but Locke believes we have natural rights to negative liberty, as in they're innate. 
We just yeah. have them by virtue of being human. Whereas Mill is like, mm, no, they're just abstractions. They're not innate. But we should act like we have them. Like we should construct them and, and abide by them. Uh, definitely. And uh, I think that this, the distinction between positive and negative liberties are important. Um, as it is trying to understand this distant, this difference, alleged difference between innate mm. rights and, and you know, um, how can we call it, sociologically Yeah, constructed imposed, rights, imposed. Constructed, yeah. yeah, imposed uh, and things like that. Um, I wonder, though, if, if this idea of, of uh, maybe we should start with, with the negative ones. They're the easier ones to understand, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of that there is, we have rights not to be restrained, so to speak, in the things that we do, um, it's a little bit at least problematic, I would say, this concept of having okay. rights that, that, that have to do with not being constrained by anything or anybody. And even more, if we go Locke's direction, that these rights are natural, they're given to us mm-hmm. by nature. And I say this thinking specific about which one Locke identifies as, as this natural negative um, right natural negative rights pretty much right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there's it talks about their, we had the right to life right mm-hmm. so we, sh- we had the right not to be killed yes. basically right uh, then we had the right to freedom in general to be free and, and mm-hmm. if you read the, the, the second uh, treaty of government it specifically talks about freedom of movement we should be restrained in our movement uh, using movement probably in the larger philosophical sense, right? Um, and then the other two that he identifies are the freedom to be healthy. <laughs> and the one that's the most puzzling is the, the freedom of, you know, the right to have private property. Yes. yes. Which is puzzling, right? Because you can understand that, like, you're born, right? You're born mm-hmm. and you're born alive, uh you're born unrestrained when it comes mm-hmm. to, to, to roaming around. With health, I mean, yeah, you're born healthy, hopefully, right? And mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. have the right to keep that state or to you know to not to suffer. Because I think that even though he says the right to be healthy, it's more the right not to suffer, not to be tortured. That's what he's thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise it would it would seem like a positive right. Exactly. So he's saying you have the right not to be tortured, pretty much. Yeah. And those things, I all understand this. The one that I don't understand is how you don't come out of your mother's womb with a house mm. or with a car <laughs> or with clothing, right? Uh, true, it is, true. So how is it that you can even imagine that one of those rights mm-hmm. that you consider innate is private property, right? And we, I know that we, in, in America, we like to, we yeah, like to think familiar. that that is, right? It's yeah. like, this is, of course, it's our natural right to... To our innate right to have private property. Mm-hmm. So I, I find this strange, don't you? Uh, it's interesting because he argues. This is so. This, okay, the way that Locke argues for property, I think, winds up being partially problematic for one of the reasons that I'm writing about in in the self ownership project. But he says. The reason you have property in things, or can mm-hmm. have property in things, right? Because it's the condition 
for the possibility of having property is because you own yourself. Kind of. Somewhat. Because in Locke, the self-ownership isn't absolute. Because he says you can't kill yourself, right? Like, you can't do things that are bad because God is the, the ultimate shareholder in you. Um, so that kind of poses a, a problem, I think. But his basic argument is, well, since you own yourself, then you own the fruits of your labor. Yes. And this means that if you mix the, the your labor, so to speak, with something in the environment, and it results in like a new state that you directly cause, then you have homesteaded this thing, and so now you have property in the thing, right? So if Absolutely. I... What would be an example of this? Let's say I, I found myself on a piece of land and I like I, there was no fences, right? It was all open. And then I just mowed the grass and upkept everything. Like I will have mixed my labor with the property and so it becomes an extension of me in a manner of speaking. Yeah. Absolutely. And so basically is really arguing, it's seriously philosophically arguing with the fact that your body literally extends into mm. this this new stuff, right? And of course, it's not stupid. It's not thinking that, you know, if you if you if you a tree is your property and then you hack it down, then you're gonna feel pain. Nothing right, like right, that, right, right. But there is this idea that, again, as you said, uh, if I mix my labor with whatever object or whatever whatever thing that's outside my body, then the thing becomes an extension of my being, almost, right? Mm -hmm. And then he's able to uh, to argue for that. Uh, for for property that way, and as you said, that's truly problematic. And I think that this is a good, um, what can we say, a good indicator of the fact that if you argue for this kind of rights mm -hmm. on an innate base, right, uh -huh. on a natural base, then you're in trouble because you can really reason your way around some other stuff and consider them also rights, innate rights, right? What are you thinking of? Uh, well, a couple of things. Uh, first, I want to make the difference. So it's obvious that if we're talking about things that are obviously natural, sort of speak, right? Mm -hmm. If we're talking about life, okay, it's easier to, or again, unrestricted movement, it's easier to argue that us, just like other animals, like we look around in nature, we make the comparison. Those are things that we find in nature. Mm -hmm. uh, if we introduce things like property and we start saying, you know, if I mix my labor with this, this is fine, blah, blah, mm. uh, then technically you can start arguing that you literally own your kids, for example, right? Hmm. You can okay. do with them whatever you want. They're properties gotcha. in the true sense of the world, right, of the word. Or uh, you, can, you can all of a sudden find that um, you can have some principle where you say, you know what, I think it's my natural right to, I don't know, um, to rape whoever I want, right? Okay, well, that, well think... that one's not good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, but uh, the point being, you can, I think it's possible, it's foreseeable, somebody that can make that argument, right? I think that, you know, the worst ideologies that we have throughout history, they try to ground their reasoning on on the basis of nature. Think mm. of Nazism, right? Think of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. any sort of suprematism. They always say this is because it's natural. This is we are like this, right? Mm -hmm. Every sort of of 
of you know movement that for example um, kind of it's it's in favor of any sort of violence or aggressiveness they will say well this is because we are this way yeah the I think, worst good um well i was thinking that so we're talking about the the elements in Locke's reasoning that we're finding problematic and i think for me the the problem isn't so much the move from self to property but is that he doesn't fully work out the concept of self and self-ownership mm -hmm. and i think that some of these problems could be solved if we if we work it out a little bit more and i think the thing you're saying about oh you know i could just rape someone or something like that i think what Locke would say is when you're doing that and and this is a harder case to make for children but when you're talking about adults you would be violating their negative rights right so they have these constraining principles mm -hmm. that that would that will fall under the the non-torturing one the, the the right to health that we were describing before right yeah yeah uh but what about situations like and again and i'm assuming you will have the same response for any sorts of of ideology that would infringe on someone else's right by killing them imprisoning them and so on and so on yeah uh my reasoning though was going even beyond Locke, right and saying every time we ground things within nature Mm -hmm. Bad things happen. <laughs> every time? I cannot think of, well, every time. Let's put it this way. The ones that have got badly, they all have groundless things in nature. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Because something I'm thinking about now is, so we said Locke has, has this view of things, right? Mm -hmm. So then you have Mill, who is also part of this quote-unquote classical liberal tradition mm -hmm. but he says no no we don't actually have innate rights um we should act as though we have innate right like we should establish them in some kind of uh legal framework and that's going to create the best outcome for everyone involved but they're not there and so this may be a response to Locke's somewhat shaky reasoning i suppose you could argue that oh we have them in the state of nature Mm -hmm. like before government exists mm -hmm. but people aren't going to protect them so we need a government and i think mill's reasoning is like well if you need someone to protect it i'm not sure if that's a natural thing which exactly. for better or worse seems to be at least somewhat part of the argument yeah and with mill's argument obviously the problem becomes another one right the problem is why do we have to pretend like they are there right why mm -hmm. do we have to establish them and of course, the response will be, it's better for everyone, right? It's the utilitarianistic right. way, right? At the end of the day, uh, yes, we're restraining our our instinct somewhat, maybe, right? Um, we might be even, so I think that what Mill is saying there is also, we might even be going against nature in that case. Oh, interesting. But even though, if, even if we're doing that, that, it's better for us to implement these things, these rights. Mm -hmm. so they, they don't have to be they don't have to be natural but they're just the better way that we have to establish society in a way that will benefit the most of us and for both of these guys that's what justice is is in some way protecting these rights mm -hmm. and I, yeah yeah absolutely and i think that and i'm wondering 
if on a certain level the the discussion that we might have for example around a specific kind of right which is human rights right mm. isn't in a byproduct of this somewhat identifying those things that we consider inalienable hmm. rights of all humans that humans have just because they exist right and i think that uh, Locke will say that's exactly what i'm talking about right mm -hmm. um and i think that another player will, will be content there okay when comes okay to, when it comes to 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 specific rights so and it's interesting because ultimately as you were saying before considering the way Locke uh builds his argument mm -hmm. the ultimate answer why do we have these rights these rights are god given yes yes so god gave us these rights and because we're the special creature that god created we have these things mm -hmm. i believe that kant is actually more interesting and even though on the same line because he also believes that we have some natural rights i think but they're given to us by being rational. Rationality yes. is Kant's God, right? That's the next step. Right? Rationality is the one that, that because we're rational, that makes us more valuable, right? And at mm. the same time, makes us special, better than everyone else. And therefore, it gives us certain, it gives us certain rights, which I think it's the middle ground between Mill and Locke there. Oh, I can see that. That's pretty interesting. Um, and one thing I'm thinking is, so you mentioned this idea of human rights, and we ended last time, you asked a question like, you know, can there be an established minimum of things provided that kind of create uh, the most optimal ground for like operating in a system based on equality of opportunity mm -hmm. rather than equality of outcome? Yeah. Um, and this relates now to positive rights. So maybe yes. we should have a discussion about that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we're moving towards that because we seem to be, and again, as we said before, negative rights, nobody argues that everyone, I think it's undeniable that we have them one way or another, right? No matter who gives it to us, either the state has given it to us or we have it by nature, nobody can argue against them, so to speak. They're evident, right? Well, I don't know, because I was going to say people who are proponents of positive rights mm -hmm. sometimes have to argue for positive rights by arguing against negative rights. In which sense? So, for example, one positive right might be, you know, in order to self-actualize, I need to have a certain level of education. Therefore, we create a kind of public education system to provide people with this basic framework that allows them to self-actualize, right? Mm -hmm. But in order to have a public education system, you have to implement that through taxation. And so if taxation is a thing, it's not entirely consensual, right? At least on the surface. And therefore, it violates negative rights. So that's the kind of thing I was thinking of. Not that it's good mm -hmm. or bad, but that they're often in conflict with one another. Um, I think that if we're talking about taxation, definitely, and probably there's a few other things that we can talk about that the, the, the positive right proponent might deny, so to speak, right? Might, might need to say, okay, this is not, this, we have to go against that. But I don't think that any of these people will argue against life and, and freedom oh. of movement, right? 
Yeah, definitely not life. I, I, w- <laughs> I wouldn't say that one. Movement, probably not. Body, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know about body. It's funny because you were saying that the sometimes the, the natural negative stuff could be used. Well, not so much the negative stuff, but the natural stuff could be used to support like something bad. So mm-hmm. what I was going to say is I think the usual notion is that the positive rights to get abused, right? Because it's like you have some dictator being like, ah, I'm going to actualize the community so you can become a better version of yourself or something. Which is true also. We have, we have the other side of it, the hyper, and again, bureaucracy will be an example of that, right? Mm-hmm. We live in a, a hyper-bureaucratized places. There's usually is the, 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 how can we say, uh, a side effect of, of, of having a of believing that we need to actualize all this positive rights mm-hmm. because now you have you know you need to have a good education and good health care and uh, but you also need to be polite to people and you don't yes. have to offend anybody and so on and so on so the the freedom kind of shrinks right completely mm-hmm. in order to which is funny because in order to get this positive rights you're completely yeah yeah uh, but I wonder, and I think that's what you were referring to, um, I wonder if any of these positive rights go into this, this container that we call human rights, which probably are those minimum base, uh, like we say, set that we need to establish if we want to hmm. at least diminish the fork of inequality, so to speak. Well, def- definitely the societal conception of human rights involves positive rights. Right, because you hear people talk about things like provide housing and shelter, provide a living wage, and so those are all positive rights. Mm-hmm. And do you? I mean, those are problematic, right? Uh, especially the last one that you that you mentioned, that living wage one. It very well could be, yeah. Um, and considering, uh, you know, I'm thinking. As a specific situation where we are now with this pandemic stuff, mm. uh, is it a is it a human right to have access to healthcare? Right. Oh wow! Yeah, we've managed to avoid talking about the pandemic <laughs> so far. Yeah. Uh, but in general, it's not it's not related to that, right? It's this this uh, what yeah. can we say this this topic was hot before that, right? With, with mm-hmm. in every election, pretty much. Uh, in the U.S. and everywhere, right? Not to talk specifics, but there is this idea that, hey, uh, is this a human right? Right, right. Like some of the politicians are saying, or is this just a service that somebody's providing, right? Mm-hmm. And I suspect that the truth is in the middle there once more, but uh, <laughs> but that's that's the argument, right? Yeah, because I think what you were getting at towards the end of the last session was you asked this question about whether or not some kind of positive right, however minimal, Mm -hmm. if it would need to be involved in order to create a quote-unquote level playing field where equality of opportunity would make more sense. I think you were saying something like that, right? Like positive rights as a means of um, getting rid of inequality as a starting point. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, and probably two of the ones that, that that I would mention are this one, the, the health issue, right? And 
even more probably what I had in mind last time was education, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if it, considering the kind of society where we live right now, if it is unavoidable that a certain level of education needs to be provided to everybody in order for them to have, you know, the same opportunities. It could be, because I think, so the question is, is what is justice, right? And what things mm-hmm. uh, are, are best suited to, to bring justice about, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. And this is a very common answer, right? It's like, give these basic things, um, not everything, but some things that allow people to do X, Y, and Z. And it may be the case, but I, a lot of the time when people have these conversations, I think a lot of things get taken for granted. Uh, and mm-hmm. one of the most obvious ones, I think, is we tend to use the word education like it's this monolithic thing. Like, oh, we will provide capital E education, right? Like, it's something mm-hmm. me and Claire talk about a lot. What, like, what does that even mean? Because this presupposes that there's one thing called education, which then presupposes one type of way of teaching and certain things that are being taught. And it's like, how is that going to work without infringing upon academic freedom? But then how could you keep freedom while also maintaining quality? Like there are all these complex questions that I think people don't think about. Absolutely. And I think that we need to make a couple of distinctions. So the the issue that you're talking about specifically was, should we have a common core education, right? That's one of them. Yeah. And and what does that mean? Uh, I will go even more, uh, you know, I will add uh, wood to the fire if you want, or fuel to the fire, uh, mm-hmm. rather. And uh, I will add probably what I'm thinking about when I think about this stuff. But again, that's my perspective, a philosopher, and so on and so on, right? It is the fact that we need to make a distinction between education and job training. Those two things are two different things. Hmm. And in our society, more often than not, we think of education, especially secondary education, as the thing that's going to grant you access to your career choice. Right, and it right. becomes pretty much this training that you're supposed to get to enter society and get. This is not it, though. We're not talking about the opportunity to get a degree that will allow you to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Education, rather, uh, in a most with the capital E as you're saying right would right be rather again and I, I use this word a lot uh, especially describing philosophy but in general it is this transformative experience right is this mm-hmm. thing that is supposed to make you to give you the tools eventually to self-actualize whatever that means and 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 if we acknowledge that I would throw in you said job training is not education I would also say school is not education absolutely and the problem is so far the way things run Mm -hmm. education is given quote unquote supposed to be given through school like that's the only means societally in an official sense that it is recognized that you can quote unquote get an education and so usually when people talk about oh you have a right to education they mean oh you have a right to school services but the problem is, if we're acknowledging those aren't synonyms, and you're saying education is some kind of transformative experience, which I agree with, like, how do you guarantee that? Like, how, you, you have to find perfect people to provide this service. That, like, that seems more mm-hmm. like a spontaneous thing. And 
there might even be this Socratic element of it comes within. I don't know. It's just, it's really difficult. Um, I agree it's difficult. And I, I'm thinking of, well, for example, when I think of this, I think of a philosopher that I don't like much in general. But I think, whoops, I think that it's interesting um, to to use him as a good example when it comes to, to explaining what education is and how education works. Uh, and this philosopher is Rousseau. Mm. Rousseau has this idea of education as a negative thing. Okay. Uh, it's just funny because we're talking about negative rights and stuff. Yeah, like right, that. right. Uh, of a negative, um, again, activity. Uh, he thinks that the, the professor, whoever is the one that's supposed to have knowledge, his job is not so much to instill knowledge, to give specific information, because otherwise you run into all the issues that, that we're talking about, but rather to remove obstacles. Mm from front of the pupil so he can blossom and flourish eventually this removing obstacles i believe uh, the way i intend uh, rousseau means to give him the opportunity to be exposed to things that can spark his interest can be exposed to the most diverse um, elements so that he can kind of find his own path mm -hmm. not in a sense not so different from plato right from this idea that we're going to put you there and we're going to observe you and see what you're good for, and then we're going to place you there. Hmm, okay. uh, Rousseau would say it's similar. It's it's a natural. So you have a natural, uh, what can we call it, inclination, and we're going to find out what it is by removing obstacle in front of you. So if you have another inclination to be a painter, but for whatever situation you're never exposed to art or you're never exposed to the existence of colors, right? Mm -hmm. You'll never become a painter. So I'm going to make sure that you're exposed to that to maybe you will latch on to that and develop into this artist. Mm. Um, how is it practically, uh, how can we implement it practically? And uh, the difference between uh, Rousseau and Plato, who I had to backtrack a second, is that Plato says, we're going to force you into a specific <laughs> place, right? <laughs> While Rousseau says, then you'll latch on and you'll go on, right? Yeah. Because now you're fine. Um, so I agree with you. School is this, this I always say that school is a way in which our society creates not culture or not education, but just creates uh, law-abiding citizens, right? It's like, it's the ticket that you get. Yeah. The school, you get like a piece of paper that tells you, this this guy was a good boy. That's. But you know, it's, it's funny because like people don't think, like people still think, this is going to sound terrible as someone who teaches, <laughs> but like that it means something, right? It's like, oh, you got a degree. You got an education. That's important. And it's like, well, you're speaking in platitudes. Like, how do you know what I went through? How do you know the professors I had? How do you know if the quality of my work was really good? How do you know if I just got passed for doing nothing? How do you know if I wasn't manipulating administrative rules or something like that? Like, there just seems to be a lot to it, uh, which is why I think the education as it relates to justice in particular is like very interesting. And I feel mm -hmm. like we could one, we should do like an episode on education. We've kind mm -hmm. of did it in the past when we were doing uh, ethics, I think. Yeah. We, uh, we, we said even that time that we should do an episode. We should. Right. So maybe, maybe we take notes from our past selves. But so the idea is that education is one of these things that would be a positive, right? Mm -hmm. That some people argue if implementable in a, in a, mm -hmm. in a real way, mm -hmm. uh, could solve 
this this issue of of base inequality, I suppose. Not by itself, though. I don't think not, by itself. Right. It wouldn't be sufficient. But I, I, but I think the idea is that some people think it's necessary, right? Uh, so, yeah, and, I, and to a certain level, I would agree with that. Again, but to me, and again, we need to do a completely different episode. But just about curiosity is involved with that. Yeah, natural attitudes, uh, good uh, professors, or whatever else you you want to call them. Philosopher right? kings. Philosopher kings. <laughs> <laughs> we are a disaster when we get in position of power. We don't want to do that. Uh, but by itself, it would not be uh, ensuring somewhat some form of of, uh, of equality and justice. Mm-hmm. Not by itself. There are other things, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I wonder if you want to get into this. What about, again, the right to preserve your good health? Yeah, so the two ones that people talk about most often, you're right, are education and health care. And this is another one where, regardless of the position you take within mm-hmm. the conversation, it often gets oversimplified, right? I'm because sure. sometimes, like, it, there's a lot of things that sound really good, right? But then, as Plato taught us, things mm-hmm. are not always as they seem, right? Mm-hmm. So, I see this happening in, in the, the healthcare discussions, again, on both sides. One specific way I'm thinking is like, if, if someone denies or is against uh, some kind of quote-unquote universal healthcare system, one assumption that the other person might take is, oh, so, so you don't think people should be healthy? So you think people should be dying? When the response is, hopefully, if they're not you know, being, uh, what would you say? Not being uh, ignorant about it would be to say something like, no, it's, it's either because I think doing it violates some sort of negative rights or it's because I think it, although it sounds good, I, I think what you want could be better suited if we utilized a different system, right? Like that should be the conversation, but usually it's mm-hmm. simplified. Um, and then the other way, it's like, well... Some people will say it's it's slavery if you have something like that because you're forcing someone to give you a service. And it's like, okay, you understand that maybe, but is that accurate either? So I think it's another issue, as you were saying, where I don't know, is there some kind of way of talking in between these two points and, and solving the issue? Yeah, it's, it's hard, right? Especially when things become so politicized, it becomes like, you know, if all, all of a sudden I start talking about, you know, right now on the podcast and I start giving arguments for universal healthcare, mm-hmm. immediately I will be labeled as whatever right, right. side. And if you do the opposite, it will be, it will be the opposite. Uh, the truth is, though, that as you're saying, there must be a point, There's my, there must be a way in which we can argue in between these two things. And I wonder if, uh, at the end of the day, uh, the problem is not so much... It's a misunderstanding of what medicine is mm-hmm. and how medicine works, right? Because some people will, will argue that, well... Uh, you are a doctor, right? And if you're a doctor, you you swore an oath. You swore the Hippocratic Oath. So mm-hmm. you shouldn't care about money. You should just care about saving kids and people right. that come to the hospital. That's, and to a degree, that's true. Uh, but just to a degree, right? Mm-hmm. There's the other side also, which is I put in so much training 
I spent so much money and time of my mm-hmm. life, and what I do is valuable. So why should I should I shouldn't I reap the benefits of this? Right, like why? I think we were saying this last time. Like why should I get the same amount as someone who's doing less work or something that's of less value? Right, is is and, something that they might believe. Or there's also the issue of because that's kind of a moral question, right? Like mm-hmm. of, of value. There's also the idea of you know, if you don't give monetary compensation that's appropriate, it might de-incentivize quality work or something like that. So, yeah, much like education, I, I think that uh, the healthcare discussion is harder than it okay. is presented as. <laughs> Absolutely. But I wonder, though, if at the end of the day, aren't they the same conversation? Because we're tying the education, sure. the, 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 the healthcare stuff with the education of the doctor and the fact that he's in depth, he spent oh, time. Oh, interesting. And, and, and so I wonder if the problem is still the education system that we have rather than the problem. Because I don't think anybody denies yeah, yeah. That, in a, that in a perfect world, of course, if I'm sick, it would be optimal if somebody will help me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, no, no, right, no, right. Not even, not even the, the, the most hardcore libertarian will, like, will argue against that, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. That is optimal. The problem is in the system that we've implemented up to now, that's impossible. That cannot be. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, again, if the, the, the obstacle there is, rather than anything else, again, education. Mm. But if not education, and again, education, health, are there any other things that are supposed to be in this minimal? I don't stuff? know, because something that I was thinking about is I'm, I'm, I'm trying to focus on like the reason for outlining these is to talk about one way you could argue uh, that a certain type of inequality should be resolved, right? Mm -hmm. But we talked about last session, things may get shaky when you talk about inequality with regard to outcome and think that's like inherently bad. So maybe... We could talk about that because I think usually if, if people are listening, the connotation of the word inequality is like obviously bad, right? Yeah. And we left off at the end of uh, last episode again to keep referring back. I think we talked about, oh, this may be a distinction between Rawls and Nozick. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really get into it. Um, and one thing I was – so John Rawls. Uh, this political philosopher has this a couple ideas that are related to what we're saying. Um, one idea that relates to inequality specifically is this idea that inequality isn't inherently bad. It could be good if, he says, as a result of the inequality, everyone else is better off, which is a super interesting idea because it, it sounds counterintuitive, but I mean, it, it seems to make sense, right? Uh, not only that, but I think that that's the root of capitalism, isn't it? Sure, sure. <laughs> that, that is the, the capitalistic, that's the, the, what capitalism says, you know. Capitalism produces inequality by default, mm-hmm. but because of this inequality, at the end of the day, almost uti- from a utilitarian perspective, everyone right, right. is better off. Right. Uh, was, what was Kennedy's uh, sentence? Like, a high tide rises all boats or something yeah, like that? Yeah, right, right. So that's, that's, that's the idea, right? And the uh, question the is, is that true, right? Because his other principle that I was thinking of was the, the veil of ignorance, 
Yeah. Right. Which some people say came from Hayek. Some people say Rawls, which is this idea that if you were able to choose, like you didn't know who you were, right? You had no information about your, what you looked like, what race you were, what your body was like, who your family was, anything, but you could choose what, what were the rules of society be? He says, that's how you produce justice objectively. Yeah, which is interesting, which is very interesting. Right? Yeah, right? This, this idea that you somewhat are able to to, uh, to produce justice only if you don't know what benefits you can rip for, from your position, right? And of course, his, his idea is you want to put yourself in a position, in a system where the last of yeah. all, right, can be good. Because you could be that worst off. Exactly. So you wanna you wanna live in a society where, if you are super poor and you know and a minority, you're still treated as fairly as somebody who has a lot of money and so on. Because I think that's 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 where it's going. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to leveling this inequality, right? So those yes. at that point, it's not even inequality anymore, but it's rather leveling differences, right? You want to make sure that regardless of the differences that are there. That's, uh, and I want to, for a second, taking this word inequality out because, as you say, it's mm-hmm. the specific value attached to it, right? There's a specific connotation attached to it. So the moment you take it away and we talk about differences, there's a, differences be- there's a difference between having a lot of money or no money or little money. There's a difference between being white or black or whatever. Um, there's a difference between living here or there. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if... Uh, what what he has in mind is this idea of kind of squishing those differences, so to speak, right? This right, is a right. way of leveling those differences in a way that will guarantee for everyone to produce whatever outcome, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, they want. Uh, is it feasible, though? And what does that mean, right? At the end of the day, what is the... What is, the uh, is that even true, I should say, right? Mm. Would you pick the kind of society that... You know, would you would you do that reasoning if so, you had to choose? So the question is, if I was in the veil of ignorance, would I pick to craft society in a way that made the worst off in a good position since, because I don't know anything about myself, I could be one of those people in that position? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I truly do not know. I... I don't know. I, have, I, I think I've been thinking about it like for years. Um... I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, it's hard. Uh, I think that he's, he's relying on, on two things there, right? Once again, I, I think that he's, he's relying on the idea that you will always vote your interest, right? True, yeah. Uh, you, and if you always do that, then in that case, of course, you mm-hmm. want to choose the one that will make the worse off still in a position of, of in a good position. Um, so that's the assumption. I would say that, yeah, I, would pro- I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. It's hard to say. <laughs> because the other option is you don't choose the system that makes the worst off best necessarily because what if that makes everyone else worse off? So maybe mm-hmm. you want to choose the system that makes every the most amount of people well, which is, I guess, is a utilitarian argument, which I didn't yeah. mean to make, but is is one, another position you could take. Uh, yes, but again, and then 
wouldn't we get into some sort of a, a dictatorship of the majority situation where I always have to go with we the could. majority of people? Yeah, I mean, and I, I'm I not, know. I'm not a fan of that. I know. I mean, yeah, majority, that majority mob rules. Rule. It does. Yeah, mob rules definitely not good. But I think we could differentiate maybe between benefiting the most possible, mm. and then some kind of more like authoritative democracy or something like that is it possible to make that, that difference or is it I, not I think so because let's imagine you have an authoritative democratic system okay and like a majority of people are extremely happy but at the expense of the minority right so that's a democratic majority extreme Yes, but but that that may not produce as much positive outcomes as a system that isn't ruled by democratic authority in a weird way. Like it's like by not having as authoritative of, of a democracy, you might be able to maximize the benefits for the most amount of people. So you're and, saying that the fir the first system will be more will produce more. I'm saying I'm saying the second one because okay. think of the difference between a direct democracy versus a democratic republic. Okay, it's something okay. like that. All right, uh, yeah, I can see the difference there. Uh, it's still pretty scary. Yeah, no, I, I mean this is this is hard. I'm just trying to think as I go here, but um, you know, I f I feel there's so much more to uh, to talk about here. So yeah, at at yeah, some point we're gonna have to continue the justice conversation i think i agree with you and we, we didn't even get into into many of the things we we, we should have and oh could yeah have. so many things but, so many things but i guess we'll eventually circle back to to some political of political philosophy stuff yeah or justice and specifically and that's and ideal because because we don't want to satiate and satisfy people right we want to leave them a little bit hungry yeah. wanting more yeah, now we gotta we gotta move to to some other topic, something else. So yeah. uh, I think that's it for today, guys. Yep, yeah, that that will be it, and see you in a couple of weeks. See you around.